Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna, uh, fresh off Notre Dame's 52-0 shutout of South Florida, which frankly didn't even feel that close, um, if that makes sense to anyone. Uh, and I think if you watch the game closely, it, it probably makes sense to you because that was it was probably the most lopsided game that I've covered uh, in 20 years on the Notre Dame beat, and that includes Bowling Green in New Mexico of last year. It's funny you say it in those terms just because, and this is the last time we'll ever mention 2011 again, but Notre Dame had more yards in that 2011 game that they <laughs> lost, uh, 508 to 254, whereas this one they had 429 to 231, and uh, they didn't even double up South Florida in yards per play. But, yes, uh, that makes – it's one of those games where the box score just doesn't tell the story. I mean, it became very evident from, like, the second or third drive that this was a game where – Okay, conference, ACC, uh, we'll schedule a non-conference game because you're making us. Uh, We're just going to get out of here as quickly as possible. They coached and played that game the way I imagine uh, I would do it if I were playing a team that was so inferior to me physically in every single position on the field. Just run it, run it, run it. Let's get out of here. Let's not get hurt. Uh, Thank you for your business. See you next week. (laughs) I mean – when I went down to see Charlie Weiss in the spring, I connected with you know our colleague Andy Staples a little bit to talk to him about Jeff Scott because he knows the Scott family really well. And he's like, man, I got to tell you, South Florida's bad. They don't, have, they don't have anything coming to back. I'm like, oh, you know, I, you know, it's in Florida. They have guys from Florida on the team, so they'll automatically be okay, right? And, wow, uh, you know, they couldn't snap the ball to the punter. Um, Their 30-year-old punter who had two real yeah. – well, he had a rough day, but – couldn't you know? Tough. Couldn't complete a pass down the field. Um, you know, had one long run, and that was it. That was a, roughly forty percent of their rushing yardage on that one snap. You know, I don't think they had a first down in the second quarter. And I, I'm not going to sit here and like bang on Charlie West Jr. for anything there. He just he did, had like no horses whatsoever. Um, you know, a, a team. What's this? Was it a team with three quarterbacks has no quarterbacks? Kind of. <laughs> Old aphorism there. So, I, you know, I mean, Notre Dame just smoked them. And, I mean, it was, the game was not without intrigue because before the game, eight players ruled out. Kyle Hamilton was due to injury. The other seven, uh, Notre Dame is not in a position to talk to you about COVID tests and contact tracing and things of that nature. But they lose eight players. One of them, the morning of the game, uh, I believe that was Maris Leofau, uh, which yeah, it put, sounded from Brian Kelly's. Um, sounded like it was all over the place, at least as far as how yeah. the information trickled into Brian Kelly. But he did say sometimes you find out at two in the morning or during the week or twelve fifty before kickoff, and and I believe that was the Leofau one because <laughs> I was I was texting with somebody close to Jack Kaiser at random this morning uh, or you know on Saturday morning, and he was like. You know, we, we were talking about how Shane was probably not going to play. And then he's like, yeah, but I expect Maris to get all the snaps. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, you get to the game and you see the list come out. And you're like, holy crap. You know, you're down two, your top two buck linebackers, a starting corner, um, you know, a deep reserve running back in, in John Muir Smith, which was not real significant. You know, Kyle Hamilton was significant, but not a surprise. We knew he wasn't going to play since earlier in the week. Um, so that was – 
you know, I think the corner linebacker um, safety trio, you're like, all right, well, what are you, what are they going to get out of these guys? Obi Agufo, a deep reserve on defense, a defensive end, Brendan Clark, your number two quarterback, which, you know, could be significant if Ian Book gets hurt. That didn't happen. So, I, you know, it's, and then how quickly the game unfolded, that, that was what was interesting to me. It went from a story about who didn't play to how well the guys who filled in did. Um, Jack Kaiser, game ball, led the team in tackles, led the team in tackles for loss. Um, you know, somebody, if you, if you listen to his interview after the game and you're a Notre Dame fan, you'll love the guy because he's mm-hmm. you know describing Notre Dame as top of the mountain and get it, of college football and getting the game ball is just something you never expect to ever happen to you. But, um, you know, Clarence Lewis started at corner as a freshman. Houston Griffith started at safety, really his first major opportunity there. And then Kaiser, a buck linebacker. I mean, Kaiser was by far the best of those three and arguably the best of Notre Dame's entire defense on Saturday. I was just so, so impressed with, with what he brought to that defense that, you know, makes you wonder how that rotation is going to go and evolve moving forward. I feel like you just gave away the lead to your, your written story here with um, talking to someone close to Kaiser, not thinking he was going to play much and then seeing him get the game ball. Uh, I'm with you, the, whatever we on a call, what they're doing post game where they put players in front of a screen and have them talk, uh, don't know how you can distinguish yourself during that, but Jack Kaiser did because yeah, absolutely. it was like the small town hero gets the call up to the big leagues and delivers. Um, Got to feel good for him. I mean, he, he was pretty much out of words as far as trying to describe what that moment's like as he had the football on the podium next to him. Uh, good story. And, and, and to your point, uh, this game did move very quickly from what do we know about Notre Dame to, okay, uh, what do we know about the guys we didn't know about on yeah. Notre Dame? And, and Brian Kelly was asked that, uh, you know, especially without spring practice, without your typical training camp, how important was a game like this? And, um, you know, it, it's good to have games like this, non-conference games like this, where <laughs> um, you can learn a little bit about yourselves. I mean, I think uh, Drew Pine getting in, I believe, and I put this on short form on the athletic app, I believe that's the earliest a true freshman quarterback has played in a season under Brian Kelly since Tommy Reese's second game against Michigan in 2010. Uh, Tommy Reese, as we all know, is the offense coordinator now for Drew Pine. Interesting. Um, obviously, it was due to circumstances probably beyond everyone's control, but I'm going to get him in. Uh, but, I mean, it, it just felt like you had the, the tweet in there that um, has become something of Notre Dame lore uh, co-opted from Brian Hamilton. There's there's blood everywhere. <laughs> that came the night of the Alabama Notre Dame championship game, describing the way Notre Dame was getting its butt kicked. You had it with the way Notre Dame was dominating. Uh, but I watched this game with through the same lens that I watched that game, which was why would the team up front ever even bother to pass the ball again? Because uh, it's just such a physically dominant, overwhelming advantage. Uh, and you saw, I mean. Seven touchdowns, six on the ground, uh, none of which came from Kyron Williams, which is hilarious, and he was still their leading rusher. Uh, but oh, it, no. It was just, Sebo Flemister. Did he? Yeah. He 13 for 127 in a touchdown. Oh, shoot. Yeah. You know what? I, I have the live stats feed up, and now I'm refreshing it, and I see that. <laughs> they Well, they supposed to auto-refresh, and it wasn't. Um, that's right, yeah. Kyron Don't put the blame there, on sorry. someone else, Fortuna. <laughs> 10 carries, 62 yards, uh, still not bad. Um I did like Ian Buck saying, uh, I won't count my three rushing t- touchdowns because <laughs> all I had to do was really fall forward. I mean, the first one was line. nice. Um, yes. You know, the five-yarder nice. for – that showed a pretty – because there was a linebacker who had a beat on him or safety who had a beat on him, and he just sort of outran him to the corner. But, yeah, the other two were just sort of one-yard plunges. I, 
one of the things that was interesting to me, I'll probably write a little bit more about this up for Monday, but for the second straight week, someone used the term manage in relation mm-hmm. to how Ian Book played. Uh, last year or last week, it was Kyron Williams. Uh, this week, it was Brian Kelly, who then I think sort of backed off of that quickly because it's you know a bit of a pejorative term for a quarterback, uh, particularly a third-year starter. But I think it's I think it was a fair assessment. They didn't ask him to do a whole lot in terms of throwing the ball down the field. Um, You know, one completion – I'm sorry, yeah, two completions of of 20 yards or more. One was to tremble on kind of a a jump ball on the sideline, which was – you know, he kind of wrestled it away, going out of bounds. Braden Lindsey got back 22 yards there. But um, Notre Dame's receivers, you know, last week – Two players, four catches – 41 yards. Yeah, I mean, last week, All in the first half. Seven, I think it was seven for 74, was the lowest total since Michigan. I'm going to have to go back and see if the four for 41 or, yeah, four for 41 is even lower than that. Um, which is, it's just a, it's a weird spot for the offense that, you know, in a game where you just ruthlessly rip someone's spine out, you really don't ask your quarterback to do a whole lot. Um, you know, he missed on some short throws. There was one to Brock Wright, one to Javon McKinley. I'm not, I'm not so sure that this this game answered some questions about some of the backups and the depth on defense. But I think when it comes to the quarterback, I'm not sure that I the the needle moved one way or the other today. No, I agree. I think Brian Kelly's direct quote, I believe, was he's he's not a manager, but he manages things he has, we asked him to do. Um, right. Twelve of nineteen, hundred forty three yards. I don't know if you have a grand takeaway from from Ian Book's performance today. I mean, I would have liked to see the deep ball, to see just some shots, you know, especially early. Just, I mean, not that they needed the momentum because they established it so early, and that was a a big difference from week one. But um, we have the same questions, I think, about Notre Dame's offense coming out of week two as we did week one, which is – Who's going to step up and make plays in the receiving game? Um, and so far, we've not seen that from Notre Dame's wide receivers. Now, I think that offensive line and that defense is good enough where, like, that probably won't matter for a while. But, like, you need to do it. You can't just go into November 7th against Clemson blind, assuming, right. you know, everyone's staying intact in there and you're all undefeated and, and you're just going to go out and, and play. I mean, we saw – Notre Dame's defense today basically had to remake itself on the fly in some cases because of the number of people it was down. I'm not going to go so far as to predict that's probably going to happen to the offense, but because this is such an unpredictable season, you have to prepare to have game. I mean, Brian Kelly said, like, you're never, like, ready for it, but, like, that's that's just what it is right now. I mean, that's – where is that quote? I, I took it down. Um, I'm going – he said, it's not adversity, but it's opportunity. It's not pressure, but it's a privilege. I'm sick about losing any player that's committed so much time and effort to the cause and their commitment to Notre Dame football. Um, but it, like, we don't know what the frontline receivers are right now. Right. Um, if Notre Dame's in a situation where they're in their backline receivers, their they're second and third team receivers, and you're not playing South Florida, I mean, it's, I would like to think, I'd have to think, outside of maybe Georgia Tech, those are the two worst teams they're going to play this year. Um, it, it's not going to get easier, um, especially as, as defenses and, and coordinators get more and more film on you. Uh, I, I just, I mean, look, it's a win. Everyone's healthy, as far as I know. Uh, I don't want to overread into this, but the same questions I had about them coming out of week one are the questions I have now coming out of week two.
Hi, I'm Andy Staples with The Athletic. No matter what fitness fads you follow, one thing is true across every one of them. You have to get hydrated and stay hydrated. The best way to do that is liquid IV. It is the most efficient way to get and stay hydrated because each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Why is that? It's the optimal ratio of glucose, sodium, and potassium delivered into your bloodstream. I live in a place where it is scorching hot, very humid, lose a lot of water when I go out running. I drink a liquid IV beforehand. I drink a liquid IV when I get back. It feels great. Partial to the acai berry before, lemon lime on the way back. I'm not sure exactly why it works out that way, but those are my favorites. Also, if you've celebrated a little bit, it doesn't have to be a workout thing. Maybe I had a neighbor who was testing out smoked old fashions, and maybe I had a few. Maybe I had one too many. When I got home, I drank a liquid IV right before bed. I felt fantastic in the morning. So how do you get yourself some liquid IV? You go to liquidiv.com and you use the code ATHLETIC at checkout and you get 25% off anything you order. That is 25% off anything you order when you use the promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. So get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Yeah, and I think uh, that the health aspect is interesting. It's another, um, you know, again, this is not a question I submitted on Saturday, but it's definitely one I want to follow up either on Monday or, or Thursday with Brian Kelly. Is uh, don't take a lot of time to craft it. And yeah, the status proper of, punctuation uh, and sh- yeah, it's uh, yeah. shut out, not shut down. Pete Sampson from the yeah, Athletic. I screwed up the one question that I did get asked. Kusa um, Griffith is pleased with the shutdown, though. I mean, he might be the only yeah, one. I think he, he took the question the way I intended. Um, <laughs> my point there, those like. The health of Hamilton, I think, is not a concern. Um, the Nick McLeod um, status, I think, is more interesting to me because he played 14 snaps today, um, whereas Clarence Lewis played 32. Cam Hart played 43. Uh, Isaiah Rutherford played 18. He was pulled from the game much earlier than the other guys they were rotating out. So... I'm I'm sort of interested if there's something going on there, um, you know, health-wise. Because he was, I thought, far and away Notre Dame's best cornerback in week one against Duke. Um, looked like he was going to be a real player. I know privately the coaches feel like he's the best corner on the team, um, you know, and, and including some of the guys that they've recruited. So that's, you know, it's a bit of a health concern. I mean, Wake Forest can, can sling it around a little bit. Um, but, uh, I mean, to your point about – you know, just sort of exchanging guys or replacing guys at a moment's notice. I, you know, it's would the offense miss a beat if Kyron Williams was out? I think they'd probably be okay. Um, would they miss a beat if an offensive lineman was out? I think they probably would. And then receiver, I think they have guys out and they are missing beats. So it um, it's a tricky situation. I thought the offensive line, among like the older guys answering questions or not, I thought the offensive line took a a pretty important step forward today where they just looked good. Um, they beat people up. South Florida was supposed to have a couple defensive ends. I didn't notice them at all. Um, <laughs> frankly, in the same way, I'm not sure that Duke's excellent pair of defensive ends really showed up at all last week. So um, I, I just sort of ran the ball down South Florida's throat. Ian Book was not sacked. I don't even think he was pressured. Um, so it, I think it, for the offensive line, the production day had more to do with yards per more to do than just yards for carry and, and total yardage. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at a game like this, 145 rushes, 21 pass attempts, uh, 281 rushing yards, 6.2 yards per carry. Uh, it was a mature group. It was a group that did the job it needed to do in front of them uh, without any hitch, for at least watching it live whatsoever. Uh, as far as, you know, again, we're, we're in this COVID climate where I, I want to be careful what I say here. and I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but like, as far as will they miss a beat if they miss this guy, if they miss this, that guy. They were missing a quarterback today. And I know Notre Dame, like every program, uh, has basically been bubbling their starters, uh, mm-hmm. their starting quarterback. They, they've been putting the ones and threes in a room together and the twos and fours in a room together. That way they're not down their top two yes. in a certain situation. But that's got to be a little alarming, right? I mean, you, you lose your number two quarterback. I mean, I don't know what the Monday through Friday is like for all those guys, but – I don't know. Something with that with me, I don't know, makes me a little skittish as far as, like, what if they have to play without Ian Buck? And we don't even know about Brendan Clark. Um, yeah. that's. Uh, I, I feel like the circumstances of Ian Book make it, unless Ian Book makes a decision um, that is not in his best interest or Notre Dame's interest, like, he's not going to get it from somebody else. He's he not going to get stuck in contact tracing either. He, he lives by himself. He's not on campus for classes. All his classes are online. Um, he's like in a position group of one. But you know, I would think so. But Mike Norvell just got it today. Of yeah, course. you know what I mean. Like it's just it's true. Yeah, you never I, really I, know. I, I, yeah. I just, I just think there's we, no certainty there. The way we frame this, all of us, is it's just well, if they do the things they're supposed to do, they're going to be, they're going to play. And it's like, well. It's really out of everyone's control. Right. I mean, yes, there are precautions you take, but yeah, I just think that I, I, you know, the safety group I think had a run of it in the preseason. The linebacker group I think had some guy, and the receiver group had some guy. Or running, I'm sorry, running back. You know, linebacker clearly is is caught in a, a weird spot right now, so it's it's tricky. Um, you can control some of it, but not all of it. So I, I get what you're saying. Like the Norvell situation at Florida State means anybody on any roster can get it at any time. Um, I just think the, the likelihood of Ian Book getting caught in anything like this is so, so low mm. that, um, you know, I, I, I guess you sort of – you're comfortable with the protocols you're taking in place to protect your starting right, quarterback right. if you're Notre Dame. Right. Uh, one guy I thought had a good game, uh, Clarence Lewis, freshman cornerback, near interception. Uh, it was also on a very poorly thrown ball that would have been a touchdown if it was accurately thrown. Uh, but I thought he was a guy who, when we were talking about Nick McLeod, when we are talking about the secondary, uh, he, I believe Brian Kelly compared him to Kavari Russell a little bit in camp, which is a bit of a leap for me. But good good player. I mean, you don't see that position with true freshmen too often, especially on a defense that good, go out there and, and, and look like they belong and at least come pretty close to making some pretty big plays. Um He's one of those guys, when I look back at a game like this one and I see what a Notre Dame game from this kind of game, a guy like that, I think, learned a lot and will be better off for playing a lot of football early on in the season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he was, I think the best way, he was a guy that you didn't really notice. Um, And and I don't know if South Florida had the ability to make you look at him either. Um, You know, their their passing game was not anything of substance. Um, But look, if it's, if contact tracing is 14 days and a positive test is 10 days and there's and th- and that's the situation that's happened in the secondary, then there's probably a good chance that Clarence Lewis is going to play a lot next week against Wake Forest, who can make you notice a young cornerback with Sam Hartman at quarterback. So that's I, – I was – I thought he had a really nice first impression. Um, I sort of like 
I like the cut of his jib. It's probably the best way I'd describe <laughs> Clarence Lewis. Um, he's, I think he's somebody that you can play good football with. So that's, that was a significant development to me uh, today. I mean, it's just, it's interesting. If you said Notre Dame was going to shut out South Florida and Cam Hart would lead the defense and snaps played, <laughs> it'd be like, what? Like, what set of circumstances would transpire that would lead to such a thing? Uh, but that's what happened. Today. I thought, you know, the defensive line, Isaiah Foskey is a terror. Uh, I thought, you know, freshman Riley Mills from Chicago looked good. I mean, he is, he's a thick dude. Alexander Ahrensberger, I think, got in – did he get a sack today? Um, the German import. And then Jordan Botello scores the touchdown on the uh, – He did have a sack. One of the two terrible South Florida punts. So uh, – He like, was, by the way – Absolutely down at the one-yard line. I don't know why they didn't review that. I would say interesting approach. The ball's just sitting there. You do like a, a, a roll into the end zone opposed to just speaking. Well, I watched it live, and I, I thought the same thing. And then they show the replay going to the commercials. Like, whoa. Like, why wasn't that reviewed? Now, they did, review, they did review uh, what was the sideline play that I thought live was Oh, catch. Tremble. Tremble, the, Tremble, uh, yeah. Competitive catch. Yes. I was surprised that they gave that only because it seemed like they both had it, and maybe they both didn't secure it both. Ty goes to the receiver, right? I yeah, guess. I but know. I mean, clearly it wasn't going to be a pick. I just thought they would say it was an incompletion. But right. you know, Tremble is excellent. Um, you know, as a as a blocker, if he knows where he's going and can find the right guy, he usually buries him. Uh, and then he's what I think he's has he led the I think he's led the team in receptions back to back weeks now. So that um, he's clearly a go to guy. It was a little bum. Michael Mayer only had one catch for five yards, but. I love the fact that in the first half when sort of the game was in, I don't want to say in doubt, but the game was sort of like ones versus ones, that the way Reese called the game with two and often three tight ends I thought was excellent because Big boy football. I liked South it Florida could not live with that at all. What's the best way to handle a quick 3-3-5 three, three, defense is beat the crap out of it. And that's what they did with Brock Wright and Tommy Tremble and Michael Mayer. I thought that was, that was really shrewd play calling uh, by Reese to figure out what's the best way to – blow South Florida out um, and not worry so much about how it looks statistically. Big day for the for the Reese family. Tommy had told the broadcast crew, as they said, um, coming out of the meeting, by the way, uh, I want you to find my grandmother tomorrow. She's going to be at the game for the first <laughs> time. And sure enough, they found her uh, with the whole family. Peggy Reese from Wilmette, Illinois, was able to make up make it up to the game. So that was fun to see. And uh, speaking of the broadcast crew, I thought Paul Burmeister did a great job. He's normally the radio guy. He was doing TV for USA Today, I believe. I'm assuming Mike Trico was doing the US Open. He was. Yes. On NBC. And then... Uh, Tony Simeone, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, went to the radio. I, I did not hear that, um, but I thought Paul Vermeister and, and Tony Junji uh, did a nice job uh, on the game today because those games can be tough, um, yeah. especially in the second half when you're running out of material and you don't have the kind of access that you do in a normal year. Uh, but but I thought it was a good good uh, job all around. Yeah, no, I think Paul's a pro. I mean, I think he does a good job on the radio, right. so that's that, that's no, no real surprise to me. What um, – I don't know. I mean, were, were there any – what do you think about this game in terms of what shouldn't be read into it? Because, I mean, this is something that I'll probably write about every damn week from now until November 7th. It, I mean, it feels – What's November a, 7th? You keep saying yeah. November 7th. I mean, it feels a little bit like a one-game season for Notre Dame or at least a one-game referendum on Notre Dame. So what do you think about – what from today is maybe applicable moving forward and what do you think is just, ah, just throw that out. It feels a little bit more of a one-off. Um, 
I think the running game and the offensive line, even though it was against an opponent, they should have done that too. Uh, I, I think that's important. I think it's important that, as you said, you know, can you imagine a game where Notre Dame was down this guy, this guy, this guy, and Cam Hart's the leading tackler and they shut out South Florida? Uh, I'd say the same thing on offense. Can you imagine a game where they run for six touchdowns and Kyron Williams doesn't have any of them? And that mm-hmm. was by dumb luck because of where they were. He still had a good game. Um, two catches, 10 carries, 62 yards, uh, 72 yards total between rushing and receiving. Um, so I, I think for all the questions we had about the running game, and I'm not exactly calling them all the second coming of Tornado set just yet, but I feel much better about the ground game two weeks into the season than I did coming into the season. Um, I would have the same questions that I did, again, about the receiving game, but I don't know if... I have those questions just because it seemed like that was the play of the game today, it, not because they didn't step up or didn't produce. It just seemed like a game where let's run the clock, let's run, yeah. let's score, let's get it over with. So I don't look at it as a referendum so much as, you know, this is what I'm still looking forward to learning about Notre Dame. And, um, you know, you said November 7th, Clemson. Uh, Louisville could be a fun game. I mean, I, we'll yeah, see I them think, tonight. Yeah. But, I mean, at least a challenge. I mean, a four-quarter game maybe. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's – I think Clemson – you know, I think Duke was one level of test. Louisville – is a step up and then Clemson uh, is obviously the test. Um, I, and I agree. I think that the, the offensive line and the sort of running back depth showed a little something today that, um, that you can probably package and move forward. If you're Notre Dame, you know, Ian book and his accuracy. I, I feel like the, that's still a concern for me. And then, you know, the receiver position was a question when the season started. I don't, I don't see that getting answered until, they can throw an Austin Lindsay uh, mm-hmm. combination out there with a couple of tight ends. And I, I don't, at this point, the way things are going with Austin, I, I'm not sure when that's going to be um, <laughs> that, that might not be until late October now. So that's, um, that's a concern. And I, you know, is, is Jack Kaiser, Houston Griffith and Clarence Lewis going to make the difference against Clemson? Probably not. Um, are they good enough to, it's good you, to know what you have. You, yeah, I mean, last time they played Louisville? Clemson and they were in that situation, they didn't yeah. know what they have, and right. they got yeah, burned. It's like, I mean, I guess I feel like, were they good enough today that you can feel like, yeah, these guys can help us beat Louisville? I think, yeah. Um, I think those guys, especially Lewis and Kaiser, who haven't really played at all, um, Notre Dame should look at them now and feel like, these are guys that can be part of a 10-1 regular season. If the loss is at Clemson, I think that they're good enough to, to help you beat everyone else. It's... I mean, Notre Dame sitting here, they've won 20 in a row in home. By my count, they've won 25 straight against unranked competition. Um, they're not going to have a ton of, ton of I, I think, tests that uh, I, I think are going to, you know, push them in that way. So it's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, I, I feel like you would feel good about that depth moving forward, even if it's not, you know, it's not like you discovered the second Kyle Hamilton today. But I think you definitely sort of got your roster in such a great position that um, you can beat everyone else on your on your schedule, even if you have a few guys down. I would say they need that kind of test before going into Clemson. But who are we kidding? Clemson's not going to have that test before they go into Notre Dame. In fact, it's it's gotten to the point where the gap between Clemson and everyone in the ACC is so bad that while unveiling the uh, Big Ten's revised third ske- different schedule in the last two months on Fox this morning. 
Urban Meyer looked at his fo- former team's schedule and said, that's a Clemson schedule right there. That's an easy schedule. Um, so as much as I'd like to see this team get tested, and I, they will, right? I mean, this is college football, especially in 2020. Like, the unpredictable yeah. is going to become normal. We have a Virginia Tech-type uh, game like last year at right. some point, right? Um, something will happen. Pittsburgh, Louisville, maybe Florida State, probably not. Um Something will happen, but uh, yeah, I'm just waiting for that. So I, I felt like in some ways I was waiting for it last year, right? There was, before that Virginia Tech game, I mean, there was Georgia where they played, I think, a lot better than most of us uh, thought they would and had a chance to win there. And then it was kind of ho-hum. And then there was Michigan where it was like, all right, what? Like, right, let's just pretend that day never happened. Um and then there's Virginia Tech where they actually had to dig deep and, and, and come back and win uh, with clutch play at the end. I just don't know if they're going to find themselves, based on what we know about this roster right now, in that kind of situation uh, between now and November 7th. But um, I think you come out of this feeling you know, pretty good as far as uh, doing what you're supposed to do, uh, 20 consecutive wins at home. Even Brian Kelly got asked kind of, sort of, about where this program was to where he started. And I don't know, again, when you – type in questions that don't actually ask them. Things get lost in translation. He took it in a direction about comparing where they are now to where South Florida is now with a new coach. Notre um, Dame wasn't that bad when he showed up. Well, they did lose South Florida. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who was who the coach in Notre Dame? I, I haven't heard it all this week. Who, who yeah. preceded Brian Kelly? <laughs> yeah, that hasn't been brought up very much. They did show him pregame uh, with Jack Collinsworth. Uh, I think it was Charlie Junior. Yeah, I think it was from a podcast. Yeah, I think he did a podcast with him during the week. Yeah, South Florida did a, a pretty nice job of leaning into a story that is pretty positive for their program with their coordinator. Um, so I thought that was kind of shrewd on their part to instead of being like, "No, oh, we, you know, we're just focused on Notre Dame. We don't want to talk about the past." Like Charlie Lewis Junior is a great story. Um, no, so and, I mean it's, Jeff Scott good PR I mean, for them. Jeff Scott's dad, Brad Scott, was the right. offense coordinator for Florida State under Bobby Bowden when they lost the game of the century to Notre, at Notre Dame in 1983, mm-hmm. but ended up the national cha- championship, and he's now the chief of staff uh, at South Florida. And they showed him with his son, uh, head coach Jeff, on the sideline uh, talking before the game as well. So I mean, those are things you got to do when you're a, a new program, uh, especially at the group of five level. It's just promote, promote, promote. And, I mean, if someone can figure out there, I would like to think it's Jeff Scott, a guy who – had a front row seat and a major hand in building probably the best program in college football right now. So that said, I, I, I again, without knowing much about the talent on the field, I thought they'd be better today. <laughs> I just, I didn't see, South I mean, Florida, yeah. I said 35, 10, I think. And I think you said 41, 10. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, those were both. Over. We, we oversold. They got, they South got the, old, competence. They, they got the over without South Florida scoring a point. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> Yeah, they they were pretty bad. I... It sure was nice seeing the teams back out on the gridiron over the weekend. Lucky for us, it was just week one. There's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To add to this week's excitement, DraftKings has millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs. If you haven't tried DraftKings yet... Head up to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. Draft your lineup now and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, pass, and catch means more with DraftKings. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching the game quite like having a shot at millions of dollars in prizes. DraftKings has paid out billions of dollars to winners since 2012, 
so they know a thing or two about cold hard cash. Download the DraftKings app now and use the code RUN. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes this week. Don't miss out on the week two action. Enter code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes with your first deposit. That's code RUN only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. It was funny. I had a couple of people on Twitter ask me if you felt if I felt like Brian Kelly was trying to get uh, Avenge 2011 in some capacity, or there was, you know, a Charlie Weiss narrative. And I was like, I don't think Brian Kelly cares about that crap at all. Um, if and if there was something he cared about, it might have been the Cotton Bowl uh, against Jeff Scott and in Clark Lee. And that was, you know, at halftime when Brian Kelly is like. Oh, I'm sh- we're shutting them out in the second half. We're going for it. I'm tired of being. Oh, no, that nice made it guy. to TV because they, they yeah. didn't. Yeah, they didn't want anyone asking TV. about that on a, of no. him um, after. And you know the locker room goes nuts. Like, does any of that go back to like I want to prove a point, um, or I want Clarkley to prove a point in a game that you know he got housed thirty to three um, in the in a, a really wretched second quarter. You know, does any of that? go into and maybe this is just my sort of fantasy soap opera coaching story that when Davos Swinney calls Jeff Scott and is like, All right, I need some intel on Notre Dame, Jeff Scott's gonna be like, It's hopeless. You can't win. They just destroyed us. They took our they took our soul, they took our spirit. Um You know what Chase Bryce will say. Say at least at least you don't have to face Phil Dracovich. Yeah. Yeah, really. It's like the first it's just like Clemson Clemson's the Clemson minor league team they've played the last two weeks. <laughs> I don't know. Does, it, he, does Wake Forest have anybody from Clemson? Yeah, right. Well, Notre Dame took everyone from Wake Forest mm-hmm. between Bill Reese and Clark Lee and Mike Elko before that. Um, it, I don't put any stock whatsoever into the like personal rivalry with this. As far as do you think Brian Kelly said all this because of the Cotton Bowl or because of Charlie? None whatsoever. But I yeah. do think he was genuine in – we want a shutout. Like, I think he was genuine in wanting to set a tone for his team that might not, like, be challenged, frankly, um, in a real actual situation. And when he said, I'm tired of being a nice guy and everyone cheered, it was funny. I don't really know what he meant by that, and I guess we'll never know. But um, I do think he was I, – I, I think shutout, like, I think that was that was pure coaching, keep our foot, keep our foot on the gas pedal. Um, there's 30 minutes left. These guys are going to give us everything they got. Let's not embarrass ourselves here. Uh, there are a lot of you who are going to get your first ever opportunity here to play in Notre Dame Stadium. Don't screw it up. And, I mean, one, we're not in the locker room every week. NBC doesn't show it every week. I don't know if he ever, he's ever said anything like that in the past, but I I don't get the sense that that is a common halftime team talk. He's not rah-rah. Uh, I mean, he's... No, and I, I feel like the way they play in the second half of blowouts, usually it's just like, let's get this over and move on to the next week. Not not setting a very strong mentality that could benefit them the rest of the season. That That's why I find that dynamic and that conversation so interesting. I don't want right. to ask about it. Is It's not because... Um, and somebody like replied to me tweeting about this. It's like... Are you, you know, giving Brian Kelly crap for running up the score now? I'm like, no, that the opposite. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to give him credit for running up the score because that's what Clemson and Ohio State do. They don't try to run out the clock and just get a win and get out of right. it. They try to. But actually, actually, did you see Clemson? Today? No, I, I D- did not. Dabo Dabo oh, asked no, the running clock. For, yes, yes. 
<laughs> and I remember who they were playing. Uh, uh, Citadel. No. Yeah. Citadel, they were playing Citadel. Oh, yeah, of course. Very much well, a you, uh, bold strategy cotton kind of move. Said no. I, I, by the way, I'm sure they only won because he picked Jeff Scott's brain last week. USF played <laughs> Citadel. See, we, we keep missing all these ties. Uh, but oh, no, my I'm, goodness. I, I'm like, like, I feel like I keep trying to give my, trying to get myself and trying to write and trying to speak. And I find myself trying to give Brian Kelly credit because I feel like he doesn't get enough. And I know that's a weird thing to say when you're an 11th year head coach in Notre Dame and you have the resume he does, but they, not to go back to the PR thing, they do such a poor job of putting him out there. They do such a poor job of really putting everyone out there that a moment like the one you're referencing at halftime, to us, it's out of character for him. And I, I kind of like that. I mean, it yeah. puts more meaning behind his Which words, like, one. Not, you know, like, we don't know if that is out of character for him. It's just out of character for of our perception of him based on how little we get to see him in those kind of moments. But, but anytime any of us ever say any, I mean, I'm assuming you hear the same kind of feedback I do from, from the Twitter crowd. Anytime anything happens in our name and you invoke Brian Kelly's name, you get like a... a, a Band of a bunch of people on Twitter just being like, oh, he's purple-faced, oh, he's a jerk, oh, he's terrible. And, like, I, I'd be hard-pressed to find a guy whose perception and reality in the greater college football landscape is any more different than Brian. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree that the way that um, he has sort of been marketed around Notre Dame or – I don't know what the term would be. It's just off. Um, he saved that place from so much embarrassment. Yeah. And players and in particular from embarrassment over the years. That that, he won't I mean, speak about it, so we probably can't. But, I mean, right. I mean he's covered was, up a lot of flaws there. One of the stories that I really wanted to do this offseason until the pandemic hit was to sort of shadow him around in some instances where we don't get to see him. Um, you know, when I went down to talk to Charlie Weiss Jr. the next day, I timed it up with Brian Kelly speaking to the right. uh, the alumni club of Sarasota. Uh, I had a very generous seat given to me at his Kelly Cares Gala in New York City that was canceled. Um, that would have been be, a, be a, a friend of a show, friend, a friend of, the of the show, friend of the pod. Um, okay. I, I've got him some seats at uh, my dad's restaurant. So yeah, it all, it so all goes around. That was going to be a lot of fun. Cause like, I think Brian Kelly in those instances, um, I guess the way I would describe him, he's probably the, the, the coach you would most want to have a beer or a whiskey with without knowing you actually would enjoy having a beer or whiskey with him. Um, based on like, I think the public perception of him, Versus when you talk to assistant coaches who have worked for him, um, you know other adults are around. And I'm not saying that players love him, but to as a boss, I think he is excellent. And I think as sort of taking bullets and falling on the sword for Notre Dame, he has done way more of that than I think people realize. And that's that's kind of one of those stories that I would really like to tell eventually. And this this was the off season to do it. Unfortunately, COVID nineteen kind of took that away. No, I, I, I've told this story before. I think when we had Tom Rinaldi on the podcast, I mean, me and my dad bumped into him in New York um, at the St. Regis Hotel. Nice name drop there. You're talking about uh, Kelly, you, not Rinaldi. Yeah, Kel, yeah. Nice name drop. My, da- my dad used to work there. No big deal. So we, we were able to skip the line. Uh, but Brian Kelly was there, and, and my dad doesn't has no idea who he is. So it was like like my dad loved him because he's like, oh, this guy's cool. Like, I'm like, yeah, he's, he's kind of a big deal, dad. Like. <laughs> Like it, 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 people would pay for the time you're getting with him right now. And do. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, he absolutely is that guy you'd want to have a beer with without knowing you want to have a beer with his staff. I won't go so far as to say it's like, I love him. He's a teddy bear, but like they love working for him because 
He treats them well. He gives them their space to do their jobs. He gives them their time off. Pre-pandemic, he would have them all over to his house in Diamond Lake preseason for a day of mandatory fun. Um, he is he's just so much different from because you only really see him on game day and you see what you see with most football coaches is a lot of yelling and a lot of red face stuff because football's a stressful game. Um, I think that's given him an unfair perception nationally. I mean, he's a guy who he's strictly business. Like he just does not get caught up in the BS. Like he mm-hmm. knows what matters. He knows what doesn't. Uh, I say all this and you know, he'll do or say something this week that'll make me regret it. But outside of, <laughs> outside of recruiting where I think we've been pretty um, outspoken about his and the program shortcomings in that department. Um, I mean, he's been a really good representative for the place. I just think he, I, the, the halftime show today showed, did a whole thing on Dalen Hayes and on the Juneteenth rally. Uh, and I mean, if you haven't already go on YouTube Watch Brian Kelly's speech off the cuff, no notes, uh, the passion and purpose of what she was fighting for his players' rights um, in society and the, the the educated way in which he spoke about it. Why Notre Dame didn't take that and tweet it every single day for the rest <laughs> of the time as the greatest recruiting thing in the world, I don't know, because every other coach in the world has tweeted out some BS statement that was handcrafted by them for them by their PR staff, and Brian Kelly went out there and like did the damn thing. I mean, he was very, very impressive. Um, and you just don't see that. I mean, you would never think of him as a player's coach because he's not the guy who's texting players and have them over for dinner right. every night. But like, he does look out for these guys, uh, but whether they know it or not. I mean, again, we know some cases where there've been some pretty sensitive situations involving players where uh, they put them in some pretty vulnerable spots and he has fallen on the sword for them more often than not. Um, and even, you know, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, when I did a story with Justin Brennan a few years ago, he you would think that would be the number one guy on Kelly's, you know, shit list uh, from everything he did. And he was like, all he did that whole time was call my mother and say, he's getting his degree. I don't care about this. I don't care about this. I don't care about this. He's getting his degree. He might not play, but like, we'll take care of him. Um, and, and Justin was just beyond grateful for him and it really helped him grow up, so... Yeah, yeah, there's our, our ode to Brian Kelly yeah, after all really. the years. It's, God, that, that went on a tangent there. But, I mean, it just it just sort of ties back into that halftime speech. And you're like, oh, you know, there there are still new things to learn about this guy in year 11. Um, you know, if you sort of dig deep enough or just happen to be watching USA Network on a Saturday afternoon, <laughs> it's uh, there's he's a, he's a dynamic personality that I think is sort of often painted as a little bit more of a one-note. And, well, and that's, he's, that's he's unfortunate. Not, he's just like the furthest thing from a rah-rah football coach. Yeah. 90% of the time. I, mean, I say that. I don't say that to detract from his day job, which he's obviously very good at. But if, if there wasn't a football season this year because of COVID or whatever, he would have found something to do. Totally I don't agree. think most of his peers would. No, or are capable of doing anything <laughs> yes, else. Yes, exactly. You know, I think that's – in some ways, one of the surprises of Brian Kelly being here potentially for 15 years is that, like, I think he has other interests, um, you know, other passions to follow. But we will see where uh, that – I'm just sort of curious where well, that happens. Well, let's, let's save this podcast. Let's save this clip <laughs> for Election Day, which is a mandatory day off the Tuesday of Clemson. Yeah. I, I just – I'm fascinated to see – and that I mean, this is really what I wanted to know with that question was, like, 
was that a tone you felt like you had to set with this team and what do you want to get out of it? Because that, if that is the mentality they're really building, which is way more Ohio State Clemson than maybe how Notre Dame has played in the past, to me that is a significant change. Um, and I'm curious if he sees it that way. So perhaps that'll be a question for Monday or Thursday. I don't know when, um, but it's, uh, I, I do think it is a, some, it's something that is potentially significant down the road as much as anything we saw today if that is sort of how he's wiring this team to play. Yep. I mean, that, that, that might be the only way. Um, if they play against Wake Forest the way we think they're going to play, if they play against Florida State and Georgia Tech the way we think they're going to play, you can't just turn it on and off. You just can't. I mean, we've seen it yeah. with the NBA bubble, right? A different sport, different situation. But uh, I think when you're so much more talented than the people you're playing against, it, it's very easy to get complacent. And who was better at being complacent for a long time than Notre Dame until recently? I mean, they lost so many games over the years that – they had no business losing. Um, that's obviously not the case anymore. Yeah, um, and it hasn't, it hasn't been for some time now, which is, I think, one of the the more, uh, I guess, important developments around here. So I don't know if you have any final uh, bows to put on 52 nothing or we. No, I, uh, I, I thought it was interesting when they had the halftime highlights and, and Jack Hollander said, uh, Phil Dracovic is not quite a backup quarterback anymore <laughs> after he threw for 300 yards <laughs> in his debut against Duke. But who's Duke, right? Like Everyone should beat them. Exactly. Everyone should pound them. Uh, so, uh, Death Wish was on USA immediately after. I had to figure ooh. out what the show was, and I thought it was a fitting title considering the carnage we had watched the last three and a half hours. But. <laughs> I, right. I'm glad I had USA. I wasn't sure if I actually did have USA until today. I probably should have listened to that. <laughs> On that note, uh, I'm going to get into writing off of today. And uh, you can start watching Miami Louisville, which I think will be fun as we uh, record here on this Saturday night. But uh, you'll probably be listening to this to your listener on Sunday, so it'll, it'll be feel a bit dated. But uh, we'll be back on Thursday, hopefully with guests. Um, I think we'd like to get sort of an expert in quarterback play to join us, if that is a tease in any way. Uh, so a, a recurring guest. Let's a recurring guest, yes, a recurring guest. So uh, until Thursday, this is our uh, post-game edition of the Shamrock following Notre Dame 52, South Florida nothing. Thanks for being with us.